All right, we'll go ahead and get started. I don't know if this is on or not. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Oh, you teenagers in the back. Mm. Of course, Rich is back there too. All right, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, we're going to start off with prayer, and we have a few prayer requests that, that we'll pray about together. Um, the, the teens have been studying through these same doctrines each week, the same as this class has been. Um, I'm, I'm assuming we're going at a different level with eighth graders than, than you guys are. But uh, it's been really fun to watch. Many of these kids have grown up in the church. Many of them have not. But I think gaining a better understanding of the greatness of God, a greater understanding of who God is, what he desires from us, and uh, that's fun to see in a 13-year-old, and it's fun to see it at any age. So uh, we're looking forward to that continuing. I'm going to be teaching uh, today and on the fifth Sundays. And then um, Jason Houston, um, Larry Reed, and Tim Hoke are going to be teaching uh, as well in a rotation. So the class will continue. Um, I want to start off, I, I have a few things that I would like to start us off. Can do I need to speak in this microphone more, or is it okay? It's okay? Okay. Holler at me if, if I'm doing anything that, uh, that you're not following. Um, some, some prayer requests we're going to be praying about. Um, little, little J.C. Lynn is uh, in the hospital in Louisville with an infection in the, the bone of her right leg, in of her leg. I don't know. Any, does anybody know any more details on that? Okay, I know they're hoping not to have to do surgery, but um, yeah, yeah. So we'll pray for little JC. And um, any other prayer requests that anybody anybody might have? Okay, well I have a few written down, so we will pray and then we will we'll dig into the study. Heavenly Father, we recognize your goodness and your bigness and your care, and each of those terms carries a lot of weight because we are not completely any of those things. We can follow you and we can reach out and in small ways do those things, but ultimately, God, your power is immense and your care is complete and all we need, and we want our hope to be in you, and our hope deserves to be in you. So when we pray for little JC, we're not praying, just throwing something out there. We recognize that you can heal her. We're also recognizing your goodness and that whatever you choose to do, we love you and we're thankful for you and know that, that you care for her in a deeper way than we can even comprehend. Help us to trust. And we do pray for her healing. Lord, we pray for comfort for our church. And we pray for comfort very specifically for, for Diane Christman. Um, pain is, is part of human existence, Lord. But this is pain that's just hard for us to see. And we love our brothers and sisters, but we especially love our, our sister Diane. And, and pray for your comfort for her and for wisdom for each of us. Thank you that PK is in Cuba influencing the Spanish-speaking world down there for you, and we, we, Lord, ask that you work, your Holy Spirit work on hearts even today. And uh, Father, we, we 
pray for Pastor Mark's message today. Lord, we pray for the worship. Pray for every part of this morning that will bring glory to you. Lord, there's, there's people all over the world gathering today, and some of them are just going through the motions. And some are worshiping you with all their hearts. Lord, we know that you can go to a good church and still just go through the motions, and we don't want that, God. Help us to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. um, I wanted to just to start our thinking off a little bit. um, Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma. He was born, I think, in the early 1800s. And um, doing some reading on him over the last couple of weeks, it kind of pushes my thinking when we look at our topic today. Um, he dealt with more hard things in life than, than just about anybody I know. And he went through dark, dark times. Uh, times where he was, you might say, questioning God. Um, you might say he would kind of pull back from, from all the believers that he was connected with. But he came through that saying, my God is good, even if things in, in this world are, are horrific. So he, he uh, came to Christ. His, he came from a believing family. His dad was a pastor. And, uh, um, but, and he made a profession of faith. But when he was in his late teens and early 20s, he's really walked away from God. He had a deist friend. And his friend basically said, God has nothing to do with this world. Come, come live and hang out with me and let's just have fun. And so when he's I think 21 or 22, he was traveling, and uh, he's in an inn, and he's a, from a medium to well-off family. And um, the next morning, the innkeeper says to him, hey, I'm really sorry it was so noisy last night. Um, that room next to you was so noisy, I'm so sorry. And, and Judson says, well, what, what was going on? He said, well, someone, someone was dying, actively dying all night long over there, and they, they died this morning. And he said, oh, that's, you know, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. Who was it? Well, it was his buddy Jacob that had influenced him to, to walk away from, from the faith. And he, he didn't come to Christ right there, but he said that was the moment where he was saying, you're going to tell me that God is not intimately involved in this world? You're gonna t- I happen to be traveling way over here. Jacob's from over here, and he happens to be at the same inn, and he's dying all night long next to me, and I can hear him, keeps me up. Who is this God? He had a time of searching, and he, he came to Christ, and he said, hey, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to I make him known. So he, he travels, and he, he ends up with uh, Carrie for a while in India. Um, his wife is pregnant at the time. They're traveling. They lose their first child. It's 108 degrees and humid. Lose their first child. They land in Burma. It's very, very difficult. His wife writes, we have no comfort or enjoyment in this world, but for our little boy. Oh, we love our little boy. And he dies at 17 months old. And his wife, rather than becoming bitter, writes pretty amazing stuff saying, we felt like this was our one joy in the world. But our one joy is Jesus. And everything else is secondary to that. So we're going to trust Christ through this. And we're going to trust in his goodness. They have another little girl. And the little girl's 18 months old. The mom dies. Six months later, the little girl dies. And, and Judson goes kind of off into the tiger-infested jungle, and he's reading kind of like some of those mystics, Thomas Akempis and some of those. Some of them have some good things to them, but some of them don't. And he, was, he, he kind of forsake, for, forsook many of the connections he had, didn't want interaction with anybody in the United States, really was wanting to die. 
And um, God brought him out of that. His father died. His brother died. Actually, his brother dying kind of popped him out of it. And he said, okay, I don't know if I have much time left, but what am I doing with my time? God miraculously works out. He, he gets remarried. He has some children with her. She's a godly woman. Some of those children die. Um, she ends up dying. He comes back to the United States and uh, marries again, this time a very a much younger woman who's, who's kind of a famous Christian book author at the time. And um, she's, he's in his late 50s and she's in her 20s. And she's famous and getting wealthy. And he reads one of her books and, and you know, the, the line to, to woo the woman, he says basically, you are so talented. Why are you writing this junk? You could be influencing Christ with your writing. This? Really? Seriously? It was something along those lines. And she says, wow, I, I really like you. She said she never met a man with the thinking and the boldness of him. And, and they went back to Burma. He gets, has three more wonderful years. They have a child together. And um, he gets very sick. And they get on a boat and head back to the United States. But when I'm, when I'm reading Adoniram Judson, I'm saying, how could, how could you make it in life? How could, you, how could you even take another step? How could you even get up and make yourself breakfast? I mean, child after child after child, spouse, beloved spouse, and, and then much opposition and, and um, being in jail and being hung up by a pole upside down at night so just his head and shoulders are on the ground and his, wife, his first wife passes because she gets so worn out trying to see him. You say, how does that, how do you, how do you, what's the answer to that? What do you, how do you, how do you keep going? And I'll tell you, when you read him, it's Jesus. It's over and over and over. He's saying, Jesus is my all. Jesus is the only thing. Life is hard. And we kind of want to live in 2019 and say, oh, life is hard. I, I, I need to pay that electric bill. And that can be a big deal. Or, or this, or this, or this. Life is hard. You know, we have been very blessed by God to be so removed from so much pain that was really a much more normal part of life even 100 years ago. But pain in this life pushes us to say, either do I trust in Jesus, or do I not trust in Jesus? So when, when we look at Jesus, and, and Pastor Ted has been teaching on this, but we look at Jesus... We can look at, the, at maybe three stages of his life. We look at the pre-existence of Jesus, which the pre-existence is kind of a funny term. You might say pre-incarnate is another one. I'm not sure. M many of you have this, have this book. Um, I, I'm not sure if, if you're reading it. Hopefully you're reading it. I'm not sure what terms they use. But some people would use pre-existence. Some people would use the term pre-incarnate. You could look at, at involvement uh, in creation, um, then we look at the humiliation. Another word for that might be the incarnation. That's when he's, he's here on earth. And that's what we know a lot about because that's when we read our Bibles. I know some, some theologians will, will critique and they'll say, well, why don't we spend uh, enough time on preexistent? Why don't we spend more time on the exaltation? But I don't think that's a, it's a healthy critique because what, is, what does the scripture give us? The scripture gives us a lot on his humiliation, right? We get, we get a, a lot on this, and that's the glory of God. That's what he gives us in his word. So we, we should know more about this because he gives us a lot more, right? Okay. And then the exaltation is what we're going to be looking at today. We're looking at the exaltation today. Um, and, and that would be resurrection, 
That would be ascension. That would be um, ruling at the right hand of the Father. Um, and that would be a little bit, and, and that'll be more later on, but a little bit, he's coming back. You know, hard things in life, struggles in life. My Savior's coming back, and, and we are to look for that. That's a, that's a hope. Um, so we'll just kind of, we'll have a few slides, but I just wanted to kind of review that a little bit. Um, let's do this. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew 28, and um, we're going to read 28, 1 through 10. And, and while you're turning there, I'd like you to think, what theories are thrown out there about possible answers for the resurrection? Because there's, there's quite a lot of them. Many of them, some of them that in this book, I would kind of bundle together and, and kind of combine some of those. But there's a lot of different theories out there. So as we're reading through Matthew 28, be thinking, I'd like some answers on that. What are some theories that people throw out about the resurrection? Um, if we could, um, Patrick, you've got a, a good, loud reading voice. Why don't you read uh, Matthew 28, 1 through 10 for us? Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and, and, came and rolled away the stone and sat upon him. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. <coughs> behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his <coughs> disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Great. Thank you. So what are some, what are some theories that are out there as far as the answer for the resurrection? Because I'll tell you, if, if one of these teens, if Jonathan back there said to me, I'm going to die and rise again, not only would I not believe him, we'd, we'd have him checked out by River Valley or one of those places, right? So, so when you say to the non-believing world, I believe that Jesus was dead and dead for three days and rose from the grave, they should rightly say you're either crazy or you're believing something that's bigger and different than anything that we see that's normal in this world. Okay. So what are some theories that are out there as far as answers to where did this body go? You're familiar? Yeah. Uh, the, the apostles uh, stole the body. Yeah. You know, I was reading all these different theories. Uh huh. And I, I thought to myself, this almost sounds, you know, if Tom Cruise had his Mission Impossible team together, sure, they couldn't have pulled off this. What they're saying. Right. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Him rising from the dead is more believable than some of the stuff that came up with. Right. Right. That's a, that's a good one. What's another one that's out there? Jesus faked his death. Yeah, that he faked it. Kind of a, maybe a hoax kind of theory. Yeah. My, my pen is leaving me. Maybe a hoax theory. And what might, what might that be saying? 
just fainted. Okay. The Romans couldn't figure out that he wasn't dead. Okay, okay. There's another one, yeah. That'd be the, uh, I think that's the swoon theory, if I'm, if I'm correct. Now, do we have any medical people floating around in here, don't we? Is a dentist, a dentist is what we got? Come on now. <laughs> I, I remember hearing the swoon theory from a person I worked with in high school, and then I remember as part of a college class, uh, the professor talked about it in detail, and I think we had to write a little paper or something like that. But if you think of the swoon theory, you know, so you're beaten beyond recognition, you are placed in a tomb, and three days later, uh, I don't know, crucifixion on the cross, sword stabbed into the body, you know, the water and blood probably piercing the heart. And, and you're going to come, come back from that? That's a, that's a reach right there. But it's popular in some circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're going to give that rock a little bump. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that doesn't take into consideration the job of a Roman soldier. If they're told to kill you, they're going to kill you. Yeah. And they're going to make sure you're dead. Yeah. They were really good at it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And if, and if they messed up on that, what's going to happen to them? They're going to get killed. Yeah. That's why at the end of Acts, and Paul's on his, you know, he's going to Rome, and they were going to kill him, kill all the prisoners to make sure they didn't get in trouble when the, when the ship ran into the rocks. And, and Paul uh, uh, got them not to do so, but... Uh, they, they weren't going to like, oh, oops, well, 9 out of 10 isn't bad. Yeah, it doesn't fit at all. I think these hoax theories are really goofy, too, because we've all told lies before. Would you be willing to die over a 30-year-old lie you told? Because if you look at, if you look at uh, and we'll, we'll have some slides to look at in a little bit, um, I wouldn't be willing to, and I don't think many would. Um, why the... Why don't, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, why the popularity of, of some of these theories? Why are they popular? Satan's deceiving. That's good. Well, for the same reason that the Pharisees, you know, and that's what blows my mind, is when, when, the, when, the, when the Roman guards go to the Pharisees and they say, tell them what happened, I mean, I would think at that point, from a human standpoint, the Pharisees would be like, okay, something big happened. And instead, they tell him to say that the apostles stole the body. Yeah. And, and that blows my mind because the Pharisees were doing that. And they said, we'll protect you. We'll protect you. talked about them dying. They said, we're going to go to your um, superiors and, and we'll, we'll protect you so they don't kill you. So even at the point after something like this happens, the Pharisees are trying to cover it up. And what I'm trying to figure out is, why are, at this point, why are they trying to cover it up? when it obviously happened at that point, you know, but, um, anyways. I think that's really true. I think what that does, what you're saying is, it forces my response. So, belief or unbelief? Yeah, Mark. And, you know, I always think of Romans 1, because we are fallen and we suppress and we actively suppress yep. the truth. Yep. And, and someone who's dead, uh, in their trespasses and sins. Right. 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 So that's our fallen Absolutely. I talked with um, uh, a guy yesterday after a basketball game, and um, he's friends with John Lynn, and his wife knows Melissa Hogue, and uh, their little girl died uh, last week, 
and the funeral was, was over there at Glen, and uh, we went to the funeral, and um, so I saw my, my coach's two oldest stepdaughters in, in basketball, and so he talked with me before the game, which he's never been very friendly to me, but we, we went to the funeral, and he said, you came, you came, you came. And, uh, and then that's all he could say, and we shook hands. And then afterwards, he came up to me again afterwards. And again, here's a guy that has not been very friendly to me, and he wanted to know how I knew John Lynn. He, he wanted to tell me the, about this, the, all the details. And I said, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus. And you could tell at the funeral, it was, it was interesting, because our two daughters that are on the basketball team. They went to the funeral as well. And so this was Sunday afternoon, and you talk about zero hope. Um, at some point, they said, "Well, somebody, you know, there was somebody had a had a, a Roman Catholic background." He said, "Hey, could you could you lead us at least in, in a Roman Catholic prayer?" And you could tell the guy was scrambling and he couldn't come up with one. But then he, I mean, just you know, if there's a future, I, I hope things work out because I want to meet my 14 month old again. I mean, that, that was as much hope as they could give in that entire funeral. And when I'm talking with my girls, and we're contrasting that to 24 hours earlier, when we heard over and over and over, there's a future and a hope, not because we're good, but because of Jesus Christ. So I talked to this dad just a little bit, and he's very smart, kind of a, uh, his, his dad's a psychologist, I think he said, and he, I don't know, I think he does rehab stuff at the hospital, but I said, there is hope, and, and putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior is the only hope. And the Bible teaches, and I fully believe, that there is a resurrection and there's a future. And he was listening, and he said, I would love to believe that. I would love to believe it. And he was antsy on his feet. And... And that really, his little baby girl dying is forcing some response to him. Now, it might not be forcing it as much as I would like it to be forced, but he is thinking, what's going on here? He probably for years has wanted to say, oh, I don't need to think about this. But the resurrection pushes, do I have a response? Um, I, I, think, I think another reason that, that it's popular to have different theories that the resurrection isn't true um, is the belief in the supernatural. The teens probably get tired of me giving illustrations about my, my step-grandpa, Don Gruders, but he was a, he was a bishop in the United Methodist Church. I know my kids do, but I do it anyway. <laughs> you can't tell them enough. So he grew up, so he would say all the religious things that you would say. He prayed in a similar way to how you and I pray. He did good things for poor, for hurting, and he was a bishop over 80 churches towards the end of his life, had a PhD, uh, I left School of Theology, very smart man, very compassionate man. But he didn't believe in the supernatural, anything supernatural in the scripture. So did he believe in the resurrection? Well, he, he believed that if you wanted to believe that that was okay, did he believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher? Yeah. And we talked about it a lot. He was a very moral man. Did he believe that Jesus did miracles? He believed that people thought he did miracles. So did he believe 
that Jesus was God? He didn't. But he could, if you sat down and talked to him for 20 minutes, you wouldn't catch it at first because he said all the same things that we hear, right? But, you know, where, where we are from, where the, the Mormon church is really big, you can find some of the same things there that you'll think, I, I, I think my coworker's a Christian. This new person working with me, wow, okay. Oh, oh. There's not as much out here, but, and you, you can have that in Baptist churches. You can have that in Methodist churches. You can have that anywhere. But how about belief in the supernatural? I alluded to it at the beginning. When we say Jesus rose from the dead, we are saying that something happened that we can't account for, that God chose to work and interrupt how he normally works in in this world. And if we don't believe it, as we're going to go on to see, we've got a serious problem with Christianity. Because what we really have is we have kind of our own little version of of what we want to call Christianity. There's a lot of it in this world. So here's some, um, let me erase some of this and uh, we'll look at a few slides. So let's look at some scripture. Um, Okay, Um, actually let me go back one to there. Okay, Um, Patrick, you want to read again? Do you mind? Sure. So this is just before he goes, and as a heads up, anytime I teach, I interrupt frequently while, while you are reading. All the teens can attest to that. Do you guys agree? Yeah. My kids? Oh, yeah, happens all the time. But this is a little bit, the resurrection didn't, didn't just, oh, wait, what in the world? Oh, let's do this. No, Isaiah's written about 700 years before the time of Christ. This is part of the plan of God. Now, you're on. Yes, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So 700 years before the time of Christ, it's the plan of God. We've got Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And that's right after... um, Peter says, my Lord and my God, and then, but then says, no, it's going to be this way. And, uh, you know, that's, that's in that whole section right there. So then later on, if you read some of the resurrection accounts and you, you know, read all four of them, let's say, and you read some of the responses by the disciples, a little bit we can think, well, wait, he didn't keep it to himself and then suddenly resurrect. And they were like, what? He, he, was, he was showing them. And he was teaching them what was going to happen. At the same time, if we see something, experience something that we've never seen and has never been experienced before, there's a reason that we have a hard time understanding. But Jesus, it didn't just suddenly pop up. This is part of the plan of God. And then, um, is that too small for you? You got it? Yeah. All right. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has, for no one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. So up top there, Aiden is our most recent baptism. We have this picture here, the death, burial, and resurrection. And then this in verse 5, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with his in a resurrection like his. Pretty good picture right here. I wanted to, uh, oh yeah, and then I had this map here too, uh, just as we finish off these theories. So this is the plan of God. This is the purpose through scripture, 700 years before the time of Christ, at the time of Christ, and after the time of Christ when Paul's writing Romans. Then you look, um, now some of these will have duplicate names because some of them obviously we don't know. But if you look a little bit, if you're going to make up theories of, of different things, I printed off a sheet here um, with some of the potential places where the disciples lived. And uh, again, we've got some duplicates there. Some of them are names that um, Thaddeus, for example, the disciple had um, kind of multiple names. Um, we know that James was put to death in Acts 12 with a sword. Um, John 21 talks about Peter. When Jesus is talking to Peter, and there's at least the illusion that he's going to have a death similar to Christ. And church traditions say he was, he was uh, crucified upside down. We don't know the rest of these for sure, but just a few of them that I will read. Matthew probably suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword wound. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. He was on the island of Patmos, probably died an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully. James, the brother of Jesus, um, was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple over 100 feet down when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. He was actually not one of the 12. Um, he's the brother of Jesus. Um, Nathaniel probably went to, or Bartholomew as he's sometimes known, missionary to Asia, um, flayed to death with a whip, Andrew crucified, on an X-shaped cross in Greece, um, and on and on and on. You willing to die for something that you made up? I don't think so. So let's look at this a little bit. Let's look at uh, Jesus 40 days post-resurrection. Um, let's, let's look... Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 just a little bit, because I think that'd be a healthy one to, to look at. Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, um, we'll just read 20 um, through 23, and I will read that. We have to keep our, our, in mind the idea of a, of a resurrected body. This is not just a spirit being. Um, 
one of the challenges before before we get into First Corinthians 15 very much, one of the one of the challenges is the kind of I'm going to use the term goofy, but kind of goofy things happen, right? So um, Jesus is is um, walking along with these two guys, and they're on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. And there's all kinds of theories out there. You can have some of my coffee too, if you want. No, it's just I, I just my job. Don't become Mason. Oh, you're um, and you think, why, why didn't they recognize him? And you think, well, you know, there's theories out there. Oh, he was, he was marred beyond, and, and he certainly was marred. But then if he has his resurrected body, you know, there's theories out there of it was a process of blah, blah. I, you know, I, I struggle with that. Um, there's a professor at Trinity Seminary, which is in Deerfield outside of Chicago. And... Um, he really pushes hard, and it's, he's an evangelical guy, but he really pushes hard that Jesus switches back and forth from material and immaterial. And he has all, it was, it was a, a big deal, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when he was pushing that. I, I struggle with that one as well. I, I, I don't see any need for it. I think if you read, let's say this afternoon, if you want to read some of those accounts in Scripture, they don't force you to say he was walking through walls kind of thing. I'll say like, the disciples were together talking, and then Jesus was, was with them. But it doesn't necessitate that he went through a block wall to get in there. Um, because there's other places in Scripture where that can happen as well. I think, um, I think in Acts 5, in Acts 5, the disciples are in jail, and the angel lets them out. And it says, like, the angel let them out. So they didn't pass through the walls, per se. The angel let them out. But then later, what does the jailer say about that situation? He says, I went and checked, and, and everything's locked up. So it, it very could be that angelic beings were, were letting him through. We really don't know. Some of it, we think, probably it was just withheld from their eyes. If you read, like, on Emmaus, it says, then their eyes were opened. So, so be cautious about forcing, you know, passing through walls kind of things, okay? Really, Scripture doesn't, doesn't lay that out or say that for sure. But resurrected body, um, the norm of a resurrected body is not for a resurrected body to pass through that wall. That's a fair way of saying it. So, so let's read um, 1 Corinthians 20, uh, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, and let's read uh, 20 through 23. Um, let's see, who wants to, who wants to, why don't you boom that out? You have a booming voice. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Excellent, excellent. Um, resurrected body, so Jesus, how is he different? Answer this for me. How is Jesus' resurrection different than like Lazarus? So, so back, let me back up just a little bit more. So if you're, if you're Lazarus, you have died. Uh, Jesus could have come earlier, but he chose not to. It says he waited a few more days. When he got there, he weeps. And he, and he brings him back to life. So how is Lazarus' resurrection different than Jesus? What's some things? Lazarus had to die again. Okay. 
Yeah. I think that's the biggest one for sure. Yeah, Jim? I think also that Lazarus, and, and even if you go back to like when Elisha raised the widow's son, I think they were still, they were, they were given their, they were revived, if you will, their heartbeat was restored, but their body was the same. Right. Jesus had a glorified, resurrected body. Lazarus did not have a glorified, right. resurrected body. Right. Right. Very good. And, and how is a resurrected body going to be different from this body of flesh right here? Yeah, yeah. It's not corruptible. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I get a big nasty spider bite on my forehead that seeps and seeps, and now I have a divot on my forehead. No more divot. Right? Right? What is that going to look like for babies? What is that going to look like for aging? We really don't know. But we do know perfection and made right is perfection and made right. And um, that's what he had. Also, as a side note, do you ever wonder what Lazarus was thinking? So here he is. He's died. His family is in anguish. But he is, he is I mean, he's in perfection. He is, he's where he has lived his life to be. He has no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more sickness, no more anything. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. I just think that's a phenomenal thing because from an outsider's perspective, I would say like, are you kidding me? In real life, we know, you say, I want to do the bidding of my master. Hey, Jesus says it, I'm there. But to go from perfection to regain the brokenness of this life, I just, I find that so fascinating. And you almost want, that's one of those places in scripture where you want, like, I wish I knew more detail about that. I'd really like to hear, but like, that's all we got. Is Jim? This is a question. I, I don't know. Sure. But is it possible that in the case of Lazarus or in the case of the widows, that, that they were not, in other words, they were more like, not, I don't want to use the word asleep, they were dead, but from their state of consciousness, is it possible that he didn't experience glory yet and he just laid in that tomb? I, I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, you could read, and, and others, if you, if you want to share your thoughts on it, there's some people that say, I mean, we, we could even deal with whether Jesus went down into hell or when he, whether he just went to Sheol, went to, if you want to separate Hades out and different things. I'm of the opinion that he was he was he was with the Father. But anybody else have any any thoughts or arguments on that? Yeah, and then well, later. I've kind of always thought what Jim thought. I mean, I just can't imagine the Lord allowing you to be in His presence and then to yank you back to this. I mean, that just seems horrible. <laughs> I mean, that just seems incongruent with who God is. Sure. That has just never made a bit of sense. Yeah, but you're going back to Jesus. <laughs> you're going back to Jesus. Yeah. So you're not really yeah. you're being out of the Lord, but you're still going to go with the Son of God. But I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Lester, you had a thought? It all goes back to what you said uh, at the bit when you started. And I wish Haley was in here because we had this exact conversation. I, I'm curious as to if Lazarus sinned after he was resurrected, and if he was resurrected in his glorified body, then he wouldn't. Right. But, so the point is that Christ, God Almighty, called him forth, and he is perfectly willing to do his will. Yeah. yeah. It's not that he's coming, he's going from glory back, he, what he's doing is glorifying God in obedience. Yeah. And he loved to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There was no there was no dismay in Lazarus in doing exactly what his king and his God commanded him to do. 
Right. I agree with that. Yeah. At the same time, I see your point because humanly I say it is, it is comforting to me to remind people, and I reminded people in the community that have known Pastor Ted, and I've reminded our church, and I've reminded my own heart. When Pastor Ted came to Christ, what was his goal after that? To be with Christ, to see Christ glorified in any way that he could. Why did he make 8 billion phone calls a day? Part of it, he really liked people. And if he was a non-believer, he still would have been on the phone a lot. But he wanted Christ glorified. And it was an ache in him to see people come to Christ. I told him that, that Father Bradley would come and, and try to evangelize me. And then I would, I would um, gently say like, well, what about this and this? And we'd have these, we've had lots of really good conversations. Father Bradley and I are really, really close. We've been a priest in this area for a long time. And, and Pastor Ted said, but do you think he's, are you getting anywhere with him? Are you getting anywhere with him? And I said, you know, I, it's kind of rough. He's a, he's a really smart guy and he is very, 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 like if, if you're in the groove of, of, of whatever you believe, whether it's Mormonism or, or hardcore strong Roman Catholic belief or, or um, whatever, he's, he's hard in that groove. But I said, I've, I've pointed some things out that are inconsistent. And Pastor Ted was, don't give up. You're gonna keep. Are you gonna talk to? Him? Did you talk to him again? Because what he he wanted Christ to be glorified by seeing people come to Christ, and he wanted to be with him. He wanted to be with him. When I would tell him, I remember telling him we went to a funeral for a, for a former employee who had passed away, and she passed away apparently in unbelief. Um, had had no interest in scripture. She worked at the Patino Shelter the first year I was there. And the funeral was at, um, what's that church in town with a really like, curvy uppy roof? What's that one? I think it's first. <coughs> what is it? First yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I ended up spending a fair amount of time with, with their pastor lady, reverend. Um, and Pastor Ted told me two things that I said. First of all, guess where I was baptized? And I said, I have no idea. Right there which I don't know why, or I don't know the story on it, but I'm going to figure it out someday. But that's where he was baptized. And then I told about that, that funeral where there was no hope given. So some of my relatives way back were like disciples of Christ, um, first, you know, first Christian, kind of like what, what that church is. Um, obviously, it was probably more conservative churches with my relatives 60 years ago. But when I talked with that reverend there, Reverend Betty, uh, no belief in hell, no belief in heaven, but if you want to believe in heaven, by all means, go crazy. Um, how would someone deserve or merit or get to a better place if they believe there is a better place and they can get there any way they want, however they want to get there? I remember talking with Pastor Ted about that, and we were both brokenhearted. But the push to, we have got to keep teaching people about the cross. We have got to keep teaching people about the resurrection. And we keep speaking truth to the end. And one of the things that I see on a church that doesn't believe in the supernatural, that doesn't believe in the resurrection, that doesn't believe in the, in the need for atonement, those churches die out after one generation. And we see that over and over and over, or they become 
their version of the Cub Scouts or the Boy Scouts. Like it's a club to go to for something to do. And when I've talked to the wife of this former employee um, who is trying to make sense of and find hope in whether she will see her spouse again, we have a reason and a hope, believer, that you might say, oh, when I, when I teach on the miraculous, people don't like hearing it. When I push, there is only one way. John 14, 6 is really unpopular in some places, right? But you have real hope. We have real hope. And we have it because of Jesus and the resurrection. So let's look a little bit. I need to move probably a little bit quicker here. Let's look at ascension just a little bit. Um, Patrick, why don't you read this one for us from Luke? And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And then um, we'll go from Acts as well. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's another one where I read both of these and I think, oh man, I'd like to hear the entire book, not just two paragraphs of, the, of one chapter. But this is, what, this is what God gave us. But look at that. He's going to a real place. It's increasingly popular in greater Christianity to not believe in a literal heaven as a place. But he's going to a, a, a real place. He left a real place and he's going to a real place. But there's supernatural as well. We've got two men, probably angels, who are standing there saying, why are you looking to that place? Because here's some hope. The same way he left, he's coming back. He's coming back. And that's, that's part of, of, of what we rejoice with. And then let's do one more. Actually, ooh, my, uh, I'll just read you this one. It was very nice of Anna to put these slides together for me, but I missed one from Ephesians 2. You can turn there with me if you want, or I can just uh, read that. I think Ephesians 2 is a really powerful, um, many of the teens memorized uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 before the ski retreat this past, this past winter. Um, but look at 6 and 7. It's, it's verse 4, as you turn in there, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is by grace you have been saved. But then look at 6 and 7, because this, this pushes us here today. This should push our thinking with how I deal with difficult people. This should push our identity. This should push how, how I think and have purpose and have goals in life. Because look at what he says positionally is going up on here, 6 and 7. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So... When you're a teenager and you're dealing with a really mean kid that sits you know, two chairs over from you in school, or you're dealing with a boss that is irrational or mean, 
or you're dealing with a health issue, or you're saying, I've shared Christ with this person in the cubicle three places over, and they just don't care, and they just don't care, and they just don't care. Or if someone is, is struggling with sexual identity, or if someone is struggling with, what purpose do I have in life? You know, maybe my kids have moved out, or maybe I, I, I really want children, and I haven't been given children yet, or, or my teenagers are frustrating me so much, or, or, or whatever is going on in your life, and there are things going on in all of our lives, right? What is it saying there about our identity and our position? It says, we've been studying the resurrection, he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And Paul is writing that to the Ephesian church that's alive. They're not dead yet. He's writing that to living people. He's saying, we are seated with him in the heavenly places. We have an identity and we have a purpose like he was resurrected we're kind of like the already not yet resurrected. Like It's like we're up there, but we're not up there yet. But live like we're there. And we have purpose for what we do because we are with him up there. I, I think that gives great purpose to life. And I don't know about you, but at the, the homeless shelter where I work, an unbelievable lack of purpose or goals. And, I, and, and I'm not saying that to speak poorly of someone who's very poor, because I also deal with a really wealthy contingent in Owensboro. A lot of really wealthy people give big checks and some small checks, but they, but they, they write checks to us and we meet them and they come and they write a check and they drive in in the sweetest car ever. And, and uh, I look out my window and I think, whoa, that is, you know, and they have all kinds of money and they will come in, and I've had people hand me a check and say, I hope that gets me in good with the big guy. Or, you know, I hope, I hope, like, I hope this makes a difference because in my life I, I don't feel like I make a difference. Now, I am all for helping the hurting. That's over and over and over in Scripture. But this gives reason to hope, whether you're very poor or very rich or everywhere in between, gives true purpose to believers. And then I wanted to ask, as, as the last thing I wanted us to look at, um, I, I wanted to ask, because I think it was asked, it was either asked in this book or a different theology book, I can't, can't remember where I got it, but if anything would cause you to, lo to lose or leave, I think it wasn't here, to lose or leave your faith in Christ, what would it be? So, you think that to yourself. If anything would cause you to lose your faith in Christ, what would it be? Is it, is it losing your job? Is it losing a child? Is it having um, uh, a serious spiritual influence on you? Walk away from the faith? You read some um, um, Charles Templeton, who was Billy Graham's kind of co-laborer for years. And really, Charles Templeton was the, the better preacher and the kind of the leader of the two. And when he's, what, 30 years old, he walks away from the faith, says, I want nothing to do with it. And Billy Graham, tell his until Charles Templeton died, would, would go, I think he ended up living in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken, would go up there and try to share his faith with him, and Templeton didn't want anything to do with it. And here's a guy that preached the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So if, if he walks away from the faith, does that cause us to lose our faith? Hardship in life? Serious persecution? What did, what did the book say? What would cause you to lose your faith? To not have faith? You remember what it says in the book? If the resurrection is not true, if the resurrection is not true, 
We are to be pitied. Patrick, read this for us. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Oh, that's powerful, isn't it? It is. I mean, really, it's saying we are wasting our time and our money and our energy on religion and, and serving and caring for other people if the resurrection is not true. Yep, yep. And, and what percentage of those that claim Christ don't believe in a literal resurrection? I have no idea. But I'm going to guess it's, it's half in the United States. I'm just going to throw that out. It's just my guess. There's nothing scientific there. And maybe even in this group here, you might say, well, I think Jesus was a good teacher. He said some great things, but I, I can't believe in all this miraculous, but I consider myself a Christian. What is this passage saying? If, he, if Christ has not been raised, faith is in vain. A Christian is one who believes and trusts in Jesus a resurrected Jesus. And then, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's the, the most popular preaching today is, you know, just to have your greatest life here and now. And I think there are so many awesome gifts right now. When I watch my little kids play basketball, or I see the sun come up, or I see a, a herd of cows on a turning green hillside, that's good stuff, right? <laughs> but if my joy, if my hope, and my trust in this, in this life only, so sad. We started off talking about Adoniram Judson. And here's a guy whose children died, and children died, and children died. And his wife died. And his new wife, I think about half their children died. And then she died. And he's at the end of his life, and he has his, his younger wife, and she loved the Lord as well, and they're ministering Burma. He gets really, really sick. At that time, if you're really, really sick, you're not going to stay living if you stay there. And so it was typically hop on a ship, and let's get you somewhere, and you've got weeks and weeks and weeks of voyage to get back. He dies in voyage, and I'm pretty sure he was buried at sea, but, but don't quote me on that one. And then his young wife comes back to the United States, she didn't come with, that's right, she didn't come with him on that last journey when he was going to go get healthy. Two months later, she heard about it. Oh, your husband and the father of your child died. She ministers for a while there and then heads back to the United States, has contracted tuberculosis and dies eight years later. But in all their writing, what gave them purpose? They said, whatever time I have here, whether it's very, very small, or whether God gives me a long life, I'm going to live... Because my hope is not in this life only. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And I have a resurrection and a hope. And that can be our hope as well. And I think it changes how we live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our church has been through heartache. Our church has been through discouragement. But our church has hope. Hope not based on my life tomorrow is going to be more fun than today. And we live in this world where just the next fun thing is kind of it's kind of the norm. We, do, you know, we can have a tendency of, 
of living for the weekends, living for the next vacation, living for seeing the kids coming, coming back or seeing the grandkids or just living for the re next restaurant or next roller coaster ride. Lord, those can be great gifts. But if our hope is in this life only, we are most to be pitied. Lord, we hope in you. We hope in a resurrection. And we hope in your return. Lord, whether you give us each 10 more minutes or 10 more years, or for some in here, 90 more years, Lord, let us live for you, for that resurrection hope that we are positionally, those who are in Christ, are positionally seated at your right hand in glory. Let that affect how we live, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You guys are dismissed. Sure appreciate you. How about your wife picking the front row for you, huh? <laughs> I always ask you this good. Can you leave this I can spit and spray on you. I, I, I see that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, I do that. I do that.